0: This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Teresa J. Spate is a Washington, D.C.-based gardener, garden historian, and podcaster under the name of Cottage in the Court. Terry's new book out from Bloom Imprint is Black Flora. It is a gorgeous look into transformative humans of color and creativity across our country at work with flowers. Terry, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. It's an honor to be
0: here. If you were to distill down your relationship with plants or gardens or flowers in your life right now, Terry, what would that sort of resulting organizing principle or philosophy be in terms of how you relate to plants, gardens, flowers, and what they mean in your life?
1: I am grounded in the earth, plants, flowers, nature. It helps keep me centered. It helps keep me focused. It is my calming factor. I go there when I'm happy. I go into the garden when I'm sad. It really is my grounding force. Uh, I feel very connected to the earth um, from within.
0: Before we get into your current career, both as Cottage in the Court and around the, the the book, Black Flora, your first book, is it your first book or your second book? It's my first
1: solo book, my second book that I've co-authored. Well, the first okay. book I've co-authored, so both of them are first.
0: Okay, good. I would love to ask you to go back and share with us who were the people and places and plants that grew you, Terry, into a woman for whom the garden and the ground beneath it would be your, uh, your grounding force. Where were you born and raised? And yeah, share from there.
1: Well, I'm a native Washingtonian and uh, I grew up, my, my dad was a minister. My mom was a homemaker. And I grew up, you know, girls wore dresses. And one thing that we did not do was get dirty and garden. So I could sit on the porch and watch my dad as he mowed the lawn and trimmed the shrubs. And I was allowed to plant seeds with my mom, marigolds, portulaca, coxcomb. That was ritual. I could also prune the roses, but You still didn't get dirty. And I used to always think in my mind one day, I am going to get out there and get dirty. And at the same time, I always asked my dad, what are these bushes? Uh, We would go downtown and uh, we went to church in Washington, D.C. We would walk on the mall and I would always ask him, what's this? What's that? So I knew what a Mahonia was when other kids probably didn't. Uh, I knew what an Azalea was because those words stuck in my mind and I wanted to learn more. Hmm. So any books that he had laying around, Better Homes and Gardens, tons of books, I would always read them. And that's what helped me understand why he was out there. Hmm. Daddy was connected because of his childhood in the South, in North Carolina, with big mama and grandpa. And uh, he was really close to his grandpa. And they farmed, they had no hose. They had a bucket and a horse and a, a cart. That's how they watered. That's how they ate. My mom's side, That's they went into town. They were all sharecroppers. And that just all kind of stuck with me because it's a very simple life but it's a very rewarding life. And so I just paid attention to that. It's also very relaxing. And as I got older, I wanted to be an archeologist. And my dad was like, no, you you should be a secretary. And it was like, not happening. <laughs> so <laughs> I was earth science major at the University of Maryland, fell in love, got married, became a mom and, um, still was intrigued with the earth so you know life happens we moved to Fredericksburg with my second daughter and I took a master gardening course and really dug deep and really started exploring I had time to do the research my dad and I would banter back and forth about plant names and whatnot and became head gardener for the city of Fredericksburg and started a landscape maintenance company and still dug deeper because as we, as gardeners know, the deeper you dig, weed seeds come up. I look at the weed seeds as things that we need to know. And there's always something for us to know. So my parents and their parents and the parents before them, I look at it as they planted the seed of being inquisitive about the, the gifts that the earth has for us. And it's just where I want to be. You know, it is, I'm at peace when I'm, when my hands are in the soil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So about what year was it that you became the head gardener for Fredericksburg? Because this clearly starts you on, a professional path in the garden from there? And what did that entail? And and how did that then lead you toward your work as Cottage in the Court, Terry?
1: It was the late 90s, I want to say 97, 98, around in there, taking the Master Gardener course. And I was a water wise technician where I went around and talked to people about turf and over fertilization. And polluting our Chesapeake Bay. And it really made me think, you know, I love doing this. I love communicating about the earth to anyone that would listen. And most of my friends will tell you, maybe sometimes it's a little hard to have a conversation with me because it's gonna be plant-based and plant-focused and earth balanced because I can apply any situation On on average, I can give you an analogy of that from the garden. Yeah, yeah. Um, Even when my daughters were little, if they were at each other, I'd be like, hold up, you need to go over to Contemplation Corner, (laughs) which was a shade part of my garden. And just, I want you to go over there and I want you to sit and think about, is it really that serious? And they would do it.
0: There are so many people I would like you to send to Contemplation Corner right now, Terry. (laughs) So you, you, how long were you head gardener for the town and, and take us on your path from there?
1: I was head gardener for the city, about seven years. Wow. Um, And from there, you know, the girls were getting older. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I decided I was going to, you know, do this landscape maintenance that the contract for water wise technician expired. So I decided I wanted to do landscape maintenance and installation um, to help people with their vision of what they can do with the, the green space that they had acquired through their home ownership. So I had clients in downtown Fredericksburg. One of my favorites was an elderly lady named Mrs. Dumas. And we would sit in the garden I'm not sure if I worked more or we chatted more, but there was, we were just so in sync. She would sit in her gazebo because she was very elderly. And we would talk and I would garden and she would tell me why, you know, she put flax in her garden and the grapes. And, you know, she had a story for everything her bayberry tree and how you could make candles. So we were very much in sync. And those are the types of clients that I preferred to work with. And we just kind of happened along each other's way. Uh, another friend of mine, Jeanette, lived near Mary Washington uh, Monument and uh, we had the boxwoods there. So we would prune the boxwoods and then I ended up gardening with Jeanette. It was always gardening, not for, but with. Yeah. yeah. And that's where the conversations would start. And that's when I started thinking, you know, I wanna elevate my voice, I wanna share with people some of the thoughts that cross my mind when I'm in the garden or when I'm reading about gardening or how I perceive gardening. And that's how I started thinking I I wanna write. That was honestly when the writing and the podcasting journey, journey, the podcasting was later, but the writing journey began. I started doing research on who were the African-American voices that spoke about gardening Hmm. that I could relate to? The first person was a gentleman named Lee May. And Lee May was a reporter. He wrote for the Atlanta Constitution. I could only find Lee May and Jamaica Kincaid. Yeah. Yeah,
0: And about what year was this that you started this research, Terry? Two thousand four. Okay, yeah. And
1: I'm I'm kind of reserved. I I, I am shy. People don't believe, it, but I am. And I just thought, you know, I need to speak with these people. So I I just called Lee May. And he had a great conversation with me. We had several conversations because I love the way he took you through his garden, his mindset, the way he viewed nature, diversity, mixing it up. And I thought, this is so cool. Unfortunately, I was supposed to meet him the next year and he passed away.
0: Mm, mm. I'm so glad you got to talk with him though, Terry.
1: I hear his voice, I own his books, I hear his voice so many times. And he really was the person that encouraged me to write that story. He said, just write it. He said, see if you can get a job at a paper and just write that story. That I still carry that to this day. And then reading Jamaica Kincaid, she's a busy woman, I'm still trying to catch up with her, but I do call her often and repeatedly. It's like, I just want 30 minutes of your time. Because like a seed, we need to know. We need to know why they see the earth the way they see it. Um why they view perennials as something that you must have, why they view annuals as something that's the eternal spot of color. Their why? Why do they garden like they do? Uh Lee May told me that he gardened because it brought him joy and it does yeah yeah so that was when I decided I need to write a blog I had no clue about blogging um but I got into blogging and then it was you know blogging for money and I I really it wasn't even about the money Jennifer I I wanted to write about gardening because I knew it would touch someone's soul um, my dad used to say that's your ministry and I was like yeah exactly well, I just you know I just want to share he goes that yeah. there's reason there I'm like okay so I just started blogging and writing my viewpoints and I know I sometimes see things a little different than most um, like the rain we had a lot of rain in Washington yesterday and snow in Loudoun County and People were like, oh, the weather's bad. I'm like, no, no, we need this. We need a dumping of the clouds to make way for the rain that's going to feed the garden, nourish it, hydrate it, so that more things can evolve and grow. And that is how I look at it. It's a gift. So that's that's kind of how all that evolved. hmm Uh, And I still, um, I love to write about things that people just may not know about in a voice that people may not think about, but it just might touch a nerve and encourage them to uncover a, a weed seed or a seed of acknowledgement of just how awesome this earth is.
0: This is Cultivating Place. Terry Spate is a gardener, a garden community builder, a podcaster, and her new book out from Bloom Imprint is Black Flora. It's a gorgeous look into transformative humans of color and creativity at work with flowers. We'll be right back after a break for more with Terry, including the germination stories for both of her two new books and a deep dive into Black Flora in all its beauty. Stay with us. The garden, a healthy and lively garden at any rate, is built on diversity. And as my garden friend Annie Redbird reminds us, as in the garden, so too in life. Diversity is what planet Earth and her people are built on and grow from. So be it. Happy Juneteenth, gardeners. We're back now to our conversation with Terry Spate, author of Black Flora, out now from Bloom Imprint. Black Flora is an in-depth exploration of 24 transformative humans of color and creativity at work with flowers. As we come back, Terry shares more about her book on urban gardening with Kathy Gents, and then we dive deep into the beauty and breathtaking range of Black Flora. The original
1: blog was Beautiful Earth because the mm. earth is beautiful. Oh, yeah. And when I bought my house um, in, well, I've been here 18 years now. That's scary. <laughs> but I've been here 18 years and it is in a cul-de-sac and it's a little cottage. And I remember when I was looking for my house, people, the real estate agents kept showing me these mega houses. I had no interest. I lived in a mega house in Virginia and I was like, no, I just want something with more land than house. So when I saw this house with the door had a broken window, it was, there were two dead trees in the back Hmm. and I looked beyond that and I saw my cottage and I never regret purchasing this house. It truly is the cottage in the middle of the court. I have no turf. It's all flowers and native plants and pollinator plants and seasonal bliss. Every season there is something to capture someone's attention. I see people walking by my house a lot. And looking, and I'm sure, I am not know if they're wondering why I have no grass or what flower is that.
0: Right, right. But either
1: way, it's capturing their attention. And that's what I wanted to do because the earth moves so fast. The world moves so fast. And we never pause. At the cottage in the court, we're pausing here.
0: I love it. So take us back to you know 2 3 maybe even 4 years ago when the blog and the podcast start to coalesce into you deciding you want to become involved in not one but two almost simultaneously book projects what what brought maybe maybe quickly talk about your your other book and then we'll dive into black flora
1: um, I'm in an urban community. And as a garden writer, I'm a member of uh, Garden Cone. My co author, Kathy Jensen, and I were presented with the opportunity to do a dream project. And the title of the book was going to be The Urban Garden 101 Ways to Grow Food and Beauty in the City. And my first thought was how are we going to do that? <laughs> but we did it, both of us. She she is closer to a metro and smaller yard. I'm in suburbia, but it's still an urban environment. Mm -hmm. And so we just came up with uh, 101 ideas, Uh, food and beauty. I let Kathy focus on on food, primarily because I've been a organic farmer and food is important. However, I'm all about the beauty. I grow both, but I'm all about the beauty. So many people think I've got an urban garden, urban yard. I need to have grass. I need to have a shrub. I need to have a tree and a pot. It's so much more than that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: From fragrant pathways to gardening for wildlife. So many different avenues. So we came up with that book, we worked on it jointly. And um, just prior to that, I ran into Deborah uh, printing at the Philadelphia Flower Show. Yeah. And Deborah said, hey, I wanna talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> I have a project for you right?" <laughs> in her Deborah way. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a project I wanna talk to you about. I'll call you in a couple of days. I'm like, okay. And when she presented it to me, honestly, I thought back to 2004
0: mm-hmm.
1: when I did my research and could not find enough Black voices to talk about the garden. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, there's entomologists, there's scientists, but the voice of just speaking about the joy of gardening. hmm and I told Deborah I was interested.
0: Yeah. So, and I loved it was a perfect segue when you said, I am all about the beauty, because Black Flora is all about the beauty. Um, and and you know, both the like the the, the title uh really does give you this idea of what we're talking about at the same time that it gives you all of the play on those words and and all the different things they can each mean. So you say to Deborah, I'm interested. Tell us about how the exact topic approach came about. How did you settle on the floral world versus, you know, the home gardener world or talk, walk us through that process.
1: Well, For those that don't know, Deborah is um, founder of the Slow Flowers Movement. So a lot of florists, cut flower growers, um, floral designers. And in that world, you really don't see a lot of attention being given to the African-Americans or, as I like to say, the black and brown folk. And they're out there, too and sometimes their designs might be a little more creative or eccentric, bold, audacious than other people. And I think Deborah saw that. So she said, you know, let's, you know, get our heads together and come up with some people that are part of the slow flowers movement or friends of the slow flowers movement. And We'll figure out who we want and, you know, we'll just wing it and see what we want it. Now, there were some people that uh, we were working from a list, pulled together. There were some people that did not want to be a part of this, probably out of fear, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oftentimes when you're not at the beginning of, The next best thing or big thing, you sometimes feel less Mm than. Maybe not good enough. Uh, Maybe, I don't know, just that doubt. Maybe they're too busy. And this is a a lane that they've not really explored before. And maybe it just wasn't the right time. So some people that I even knew of that, that I had inquired would you want to do this and you know they kind of quietly backed down and it's okay because somebody in order to learn how to swim somebody had to get in the water first yeah yeah so seeing seeing us in black flora prayerfully will inspire somebody that does think in that Negative walkway of not good enough. I don't know. Maybe this will inspire them to say, you know what? I got this.
0: Right. I'm ready. I can do it. Yeah. 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 There's no time like right now. And, yeah. you know, do when I think about how the world, like just even my own world, Terry, in this last five, six years from when I started working on the earth in her hands to Everything we've been through these last two and a half years, you just, you know that our garden world has expanded in such, wait a second, that's, that's, that's the wrong way to put that. Our garden world has always been that expansive. But our our representation of our garden world is finally starting to match the expansiveness of what you and I know the garden world is, right? Yes. Yes. And so to see the work and the diversity of work um, and expression in all of the ways it is expressed in the book is just, ah, as I said, really exciting to me. How did you? Uh, Abra Lee, who has been a guest on the program before, writes the introduction to the book, and it's beautiful. Um, and then you have this whole lovely table of contents of different individuals around the country doing different things. Maybe read us through that table of contents and give us, you know, just like a distilled version of why this person seemed like a great person to include. And I'm guessing, you know, to riff off of what you just said about there were some people that weren't quite ready for, to be part of this spotlight, that there were probably also a lot of people, you couldn't fit them all in, or they didn't meet one criteria, but they still would be considered in this big tent of, uh, of creativity and floristry.
1: Now, each person had their unique value, I would have to say. Yeah. Um, and as well as their reasons for delving into this world. Um, What is funny is a lot of the people looked up to one person, Mimo Davis, a seasoned woman who stepped out of one career, fell into flowers, and I want to say her mother inadvertently led her to this world of flowers. She knew absolutely nothing about flowers when she was asked to house sit her mom's plants. (laughs) And it became a career. Um, The Wild Mother, oh my goodness. Three amazing women, amazing.
0: And they're in Oklahoma, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay. They have social justice flowing through their veins. They have, in many ways, a similar upbringing with mine, you know, brought up in the church. and But yet they see the world as it is because they stepped out of one flower patch into a diverse world that they really were not aware of, you know, as adults, they are continuing to delve into and speak their mind, which is huge. Um, Ron, oh, you know, <laughs> I would watch Ron, Ron Zuri Hansburg. I would watch him on Instagram and this guy, He does not like blue hydrangeas, and that's okay. (laughs) I love blue hydrangeas. I grew up with them in North and South Carolina and my family home in D.C. But Ron is a believer in testing the waters, reaching back, bringing the lesser known into his space, and sharing. One thing about the world of horticulture is we share. Because just like in the garden, seeds drop, they take root, you have more plants. Sometimes weed seeds blow in, you have to remove them, but you can compost them. So, Braun, he's just, he really, just really caught my attention in Rock Rural. And Gina, Gina is just real. Gina is just. You know, she had the corporate career, she had the government career, and she decided she wanted to do, once again, what brought her joy. That is amazing because she could have stayed in a safe zone in a government job and continue to do flowers and events on the side, but she decided to take the leap.
0: And that's huge. This is Cultivating Place. Terry Spate is a gardener, a garden community builder, and a writer. She has two new books out, including one out from Bloom Imprint entitled Black Flora. It's a fantastic exploration into transformative humans of color and creativity across the U.S., At work with flowers. We'll be right back after a break with more from Terry about specific people in the book and stories that they share, the many catalysts behind their floral endeavors, and the many missions they have for this work. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. I loved hearing from you all about the garden metaphors that come home to you with your garden when you're gardening. I've been thinking, we should put together a summer garden reading or listening list. What do you all think? If you have favorite books or stories you think others might like on their nightstands, in their beach bags, in their hiking backpacks, or in their ears this summer, send me your favorites and I will collate the list for the summer solstice episode. Looking forward to hearing about your favorite garden reads or listens. New or old favorites, we just can't have too many, can we? Send in yours, you know how. Send me an email, cultivatingplace at gmail.com or online on Instagram at cultivating underscore place. I can't wait to hear your recommendations. We're back now to our conversation with Terry Spate, author of Black Flora, out now from Bloom Imprint. Black Flora is an in-depth exploration of 24 transformative humans of color and creativity working with flowers in a variety of ways, arranging them, selling them, growing them, repurposing them. As we come back, Terry shares more specific stories from the people who comprise Black Flora one of the things that i love terry is how uh you know geographically they also ran the gamut of of where they were and how they were doing what they were doing or why they were doing it um yes. you know you had gardeners in the the south in the northeast in the pacific northwest there's fortunate orchard up in seattle and then yes. you know so it was and then you had lovely representation in the in the middle of the country too it was and I think, am I right when I say there were 20, twenty-two total profiles, and then two of them were men? Uh,
1: there, were, two of them were men, and yeah, so
0: one well, like twenty-four. Okay, okay, yeah,
1: twenty-four, yeah, yeah. Um, even uh, Kaifa, Kaifa's here in Washington D.C. Now, Kaifa, she repurposes flowers.
0: Uh, who knew? You know? Right. <laughs> Describe that for listeners a little bit. What what you mean when you say that?
1: Think of those huge events that everyone goes to and the arrangements are just gorgeous. Drop dead gorgeous. They're everywhere. And when the event is over, some people might take a few, but then what? Taifa comes in on that then what phase of the situation. She, they they donate the flowers. She repurposes them to uh, people with maybe visual impairments, people with disabilities, seniors. She makes sure that she gives them to the community. And that alone is powerful. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, The the different people, I guess one of the the main two that really captured my heart were Taj and Victoria Cotton.
0: Talk about them, yeah. Young couple, two
1: kids. And Taj and Victoria knew when they were about to become married that they did not want to be a part of the corporate world. They did not want the three-car garage, the mega house. They wanted to be able to have a life that was affordable, that they could raise their children, and that they could enjoy. They chose to become flower farmers. I just, every time I think about them, it's like so many of my coworkers and peers they want that six-figure job. They want that mega house and all the cars travel. Taj and Victoria are happy with their children at their side, growing in unison with another couple that have been organic farmers for over 30 years. And Victoria made it very clear. They both of their families own land in North Carolina. They could start out and become flower farmers on their own, but the work that has been put into the land that they're growing on, to be responsible, reliable farmers, not just for flowers, but produce as well, to go to the market and engage with the public about flowers and food brings them joy And I think everybody in Black Flora, at the end of the day, the flowers, the floral world is healing. And it brings them joy as well as income. Yeah. And that's amazing.
0: Yeah. And to see all of those different... Pathways through, you know, through life, those different choices, those different ways of growing a good life for yourself, for your, your, your part of the planet, for your community of humans. Like they become these little blueprints for other people to look at and say, I could do it like that, or I could do it a little bit like that, or I could use that idea. And again, that expands us as gardeners and humans um, to think beyond the models we've been given or we have had the privilege to see up until this point. Right.
1: Um, Another woman in the book is Hannah Morgan. Hannah has an arts background and she was kind of in flux, you know, two kids, hubby, small house. And a friend wanted to know if she'd be willing to make an arrangement for a restaurant. Using that art history, art uh, background, she created. A floral arrangement. Knock their socks off. That's how flowers can sometimes find you. (laughs) So true. Yeah. It's like the idea was in the wind. The wind was near Hannah. And it caught. And now she grows. She forages. She creates. She designs. And it was definitely not the career path that she thought about.
0: Uh, But it found her. It found her. Yeah. And so that, you know, I I can hear this in your voice, Terry, but, you know, uh, part of me wants to just say how much fun was it for you to interview these people that became part of the end result? I mean... I can hear Lee Mae's voice saying to you, you got to write that book, Terry. You got to write these stories.
1: Um, it was powerful. It was powerful because every time I spoke to someone that I was interviewing, it was like they were telling me what I had been telling myself for many years. We can do this we we're not a monolith we can do more than just grow vegetables i wrote an article when i turned a certain age called we grow more than collards and it was the very first time i really felt as though you know what i'm just going to say this (laughs) we can do more than grow vegetables we grow flowers we grow trees and shrubs um Earlier, you asked me who else inspired me. If you go to South Carolina, there is an elderly man who does topiaries.
0: Oh, Pearl Fryer, Mr. Pearl.
1: Mr. Pearl made... It was after Lee May had passed, and I realized, okay, when I do find other voices, I need to reach out and touch them because... Tomorrow's not promised. I really was looking forward to, you know, chatting with Lee May, um, either in Atlanta or D.C. So when I found out about Mr. Pearl, I took my grandsons down because I wanted them to see what can be done. Mr. Pearl's first topiary came out of the back of a dumpster. He rescued a shrub. And if you look at the artistry, it is in his hands. There is something in our hands that allows us to know what to grow, how to grow it. Now, yes, there's education in the process, but how many of us in the African-American community can say, oh, grandma grew some good hydrangeas, Grandma did not go to college for horticulture, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My great aunt Egenora had some of the biggest sunflowers on D Street in Northwest DC. She was known for her sunflowers. She did not go to school for agriculture. It's just something. They knew what to put in the soil. They knew how to create beauty, no matter what the conditions, no matter where they lived, whether it was an urban environment, country, city. That is coming through our DNA and is into the hands of the people in this book. Mm -hmm. Several of them did not grow up with flowers. They didn't grow up with yards. But look at them.
0: Yeah. One of the things I loved about uh, a woman out here uh, in on the West Coast, Yolanda Burrell, who I interviewed for The Earth in Her Hands, and, and she put it so beautifully, which is not the only person to, to have this idea, but that, you know, that it's a remembering. It's not even a learning so much as it's a remembering when people come to plants and flowers, because you go back in anybody's history and you are going to find land-based knowledge and experience and somewhere it's in us. And some people like Pearl Fryer for, we know, just have it, have a, have a greater helping of it than others. And, um, and that's, and it's so it's, it's a wonderful thing to then be able to recognize them and, and lift them up. So, you know, along this way, with the book, with telling the stories, with finding your own voice, what have been your greatest surprises in this, in this time and this experience for you personally, Terry?
1: What are the surprises?
0: Yeah. Have you had any, or yeah, what has surprised you about yourself, about the stories you found, about the abundance of, of voices and people you found, anything?
1: What has surprised me is that our story is still yet to be told. And how we have persevered in spite of it all. Um, Each of the people in this book and more have had businesses, have gone from career to career, um, have evolved in this business to doing maybe set design, like Drew Rios, in addition to flowers. Um, Christian um, Vanderjoek Griffin, he's a parent. His amazing arrangements are just off the chain the talent that we have without the celebrity of it all. And we walk in it in an honest way and we just do it. What has surprised me is our story has never been really told. And there's so many more voices so many more people out there that are in this industry that are black and brown, that need to have their story told. So we need to start elevating our voice and share it without any shame. To be perfectly honest, Jennifer, um, when I think about this book, when I think about all the books, I have bookcases of books,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And a handful are written by African-Americans. And we know a lot of the same things that are in the books that surround me. The surprise is, um, why so long? And I'm glad that I was chosen to work with Deborah to get this story out there.
0: Beautiful. And, and yeah, and now, and now it's starting and, and it's loud and it's clear and it's colorful and it's bold and to see all of the voices of the people that you have shared forward and to, um, hope and help with getting their voices to amplify the next set of 25 and the next set of 25. And, you know, to encourage those among them like Abra uh, Lee to um, when their books come out, we will, we will be there to read them and share them. Yeah. And, and to,
1: what would really bring me joy is for some child
0: mm-hmm.
1: to say you know <clears throat> I want to go to college but I don't know what I want to study Um, but the earth is really intriguing to me and to find their way to this wonderful world of flowers by any means necessary legally of course but <laughs> Whether, it, whether it's through interning at a florist shop, whether it's working for a landscaper for a summer and finding out what shrubs grow in your area and what shrubs bloom that you can bring inside and use in a bouquet. For maybe somebody else, like um, one, of, one of the candidates in the book, she was getting married and realized she could not afford to buy all those flowers, and she thought somebody else is not going to be able to afford to do this either. Shonda. And Shonda went to the grocery store, bought her flowers, made bouquets, but then decided, I want to make sure that I can help somebody else create beauty. So those kinds of things, if this book inspires a handful of people or one person, I would be delighted.
0: Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. Uh, Your book has certainly inspired me. So you've got your one, and I know you have hundreds of thousands more uh, in the waiting and in the making. So thank you for your work and, uh, and congratulations. Thank you.
1: And I hope, I hope that I can tell more stories. Um, and delve deeper into the people in this book through my podcast and through my writing because um, we're here. And, you know, in the garden, the garden was, was built on diversity. We're here.
0: Terry Spate is a Washington, D.C. based gardener, garden historian, community builder, and podcaster under the name of Cottage in the Court. She is founder and president of the Jabali Amani Garden Collective, a garden club for African American women. We've been speaking about Terry's new book out from Bloom Imprint Black Flora, a gorgeous look into transformative humans of color and creativity working with flowers. Bloom Imprint is a sister endeavor to the Slow Flowers Society, who are hosting their annual Slow Flowers Summit in person this year at the end of June at the Stone Barns Center in upstate New York. Information on how to register is in this week's show notes. Terry has events around Black Flora in the D.C. region coming up this summer, including bouquet-making book club kinds of gatherings and a books, bouquets, banter, and bourbon night. Because, as Terry says, why not? Look for information on all of these by following Terry online, cottageinthecourt.com or on Instagram, at CottageInCourt. Join us again next week when we are all abuzz for National Pollinator Week in conversation with Dr. Monica Egerer of the Technological Institute of Munich. She is a pollination ecologist focused on the possibilities inherent in well-designed urban gardens for helping to reweave our fragmented world for our pollinator and other wildlife planet mates. Listen in. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, a service of Cap Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. For more information and many great images and links to the colorful and creative humans of Black Flora, head on over to CultivatingPlace.com where you can also sign up to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler, with tech and web support from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present home lands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.